church. So good to uh, be with you this morning and share a little bit about what God's been doing uh, through the youth and in our church. Uh, just want to make sure we have a couple of things underway that everyone's uh, aware of. Pastor wanted to make sure that I communicated next Sunday we're going to be having communion. And so we want to remind you to gather your supplies. We have a whole thing of grape juice in my house that's just for communion because we don't really drink it on a normal basis. And so uh, do what you got to do, but make sure that you're prepared, whether it's bread or crackers or whatever it is that you use. Uh, make sure that you have an opportunity to do that with us next week. Um, I mentioned I wanted to just catch you up on a few things that the youth have been doing. We've been meeting regularly every week on Thursday nights uh, with our services, uh, online, obviously, not in person. Uh, we've also been doing small groups, which just finished for the semester as our normal schedule had planned out. Um, but one of the things that we've been doing this past month is getting ready for this Tuesday, uh, June 30th, with it, which is our National Speed the Light Give Day. And what that means is uh, we got together some uh, key people within our states with the National Office for Speed the Light, which is what our youth do for missions. So uh, they, that is the avenue that the Assemblies of God has chosen to take in missions uh, money from youth. And so uh, we've been trying to figure out, well, what do we do? Missions has gone down this year somewhere around 80%. Uh, we wanted to make sure that our students understood that the gospel is not canceled, that we are still moving forward, and that the work still goes down. And so we've been talking about that all month with our students and prepping and planning, and I'm so proud of all the different projects and efforts that all of our young people are doing. You've probably been flooded with some of that on social media, watching them uh, selling prints or selling uh, artwork that they've done. They've been creative. Some of them were eating chicken nuggets for missions and uh, doing live karaoke on Instagram and just figuring out ways. And uh, by the grace of God, uh, I've already seen several thousand coming in. And on June 30th, you'll see that all across the nation, people will turn in their money that day and we'll be able to, in live time, see what God is doing with teenagers all across the United States. So if you see one of our young people doing something and you feel moved to support that, uh, just please do. Know that it's incredibly encouraging for them. And one of the great feedbacks we're hearing, or at least two things that we're hearing from them, is they're encouraged by all the other people that are doing it and by how many of our family, our church family, is participating with them. But two, they're amazed at how many unbelievers are giving and willing to support them simply because they put themselves out there. And if this becomes an avenue not just to raise money, but to raise awareness of who Jesus Christ is, then praise God. We want to make sure that we do that. Also, our young people are going to be helping us out. Uh, beginning July 10th, we've partnered with World Vision. Uh, and what's going on with that is every Friday, beginning July 10th, we're going to have a group of teenagers in our parking lot who are going to be helping to distribute essential uh, supplies, which are masks, gloves, and boxes of food to needy families within our communities. And so what we did is World Vision partners with CPS. CPS contacts somewhere around 100 families in our area, and then they send them to the church parking lot on that Friday to collect one of those boxes of supplies. Now, I just want to be clear, this isn't open to the public, but this is a wonderful outreach opportunity for, one, people to know that we're a church. How many people drive by the building aren't sure what that is? Uh, but two, to, again, help our community and, and be a lighthouse within the community. And so we're so grateful for that opportunity and grateful for the partnership that we have with World Vision. And uh, we're really trusting God that more than handing out boxes of food and essential supplies, we'll be handing out hope, we'll be able to make a connection. And who knows if one day uh, they'll watch us online or maybe even be with us here in person as we pray the Lord happy, uh, swifts that quickly. As we've been preparing and as we've been going through the last several months, um, 
I've had a lot of interviews. You know, everything's been going online. So I've had a lot of online interviews with other ministries, uh, particularly ones that are outside of our state who are asking for my opinion on what's going on in Chicago, what's going on in the United States, whether it's in regard to coronavirus or uh, the aftermath of George Floyd's murder or the fact that uh, this past weekend on Father's Day, 104 people were shot uh, in that weekend alone, 15 of them fatally, five of them children, and the youngest one, three. These are some hard topics to tackle and to eloquently communicate. But the more I began to share what was going on, the more I began to notice that I kept saying the same thing. And throughout this entire time, and I love that uh, Kat sang that song and the worship team kind of sang that song in regard to prayer because I think that's the key right now. That's the biggest urging that I felt throughout the entirety of this season that we find ourselves in. I find this deep sense and this deep urging to pray. Sometimes when we get into these situations, we feel hopeless. We feel like the, the problems are too big, the, the issues are too great, and, and very often you want to just kind of sink in or, or turn everything off and go to sleep. But I felt this incredible urge to pray. And church, I want to offer that, that same kind of desire to you. I think it's important for you and I to understand that some things cannot be overcome if not through prayer and fasting. And as I was praying about that and thinking about that, the Lord uh, quickly brought me to Nehemiah chapter 1. And he, and he reminded me of Nehemiah's prayer. And that's what I want to focus in on this morning. I want to look at Nehemiah's prayer. But before I go into his prayer, let me give you a little bit of context of what's happening right around the first chapter of Nehemiah. Right before this time period, the nation of Israel was in rebellion. They almost always seem to be in rebellion when you read the Old Testament and God warned them time and time again, and they didn't heed his warning. And so God allowed the Babylonian uh, empire to go ahead and conquer the nation of Israel. And that's what happened. Babylon, the Babylonians completely destroyed not only the nation but the city of Jerusalem. They exiled the Israelites across the Babylonian empire, and they were now servants of the Babylonians. And this happened all around 580 B.C., about 70 years passed under Babylonian rule, and then the Babylonians were overrun by the Persian Empire. The Persians allowed many of the Israelites to go back to Israel and rebuild Jerusalem, but only about 2% went. 25 years after that, we see this Nehemiah man come into the story. And I want you to notice what happens as he begins to, to inquiry and try to find out, so what's the progress? What's been going on these past 25 years in Jerusalem? And in verse 2 of Nehemiah chapter 1, he begins by saying, Hanani, one of my brothers came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about the things that were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, the things are not going well for those who returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down. The gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. The city was in ruin. I think in the last several weeks when you look out at Chicago, it sometimes it feels like the city is in ruin with some of the protests and rioting with uh, just, I don't know why people decided to throw fireworks every single day, but it sounds like there's literally a war zone going on outside with the shootings and with everything else that's coming on, on top of the fact that we're in a global pandemic, it feels like it's in ruin. And I love Nehemiah's response. 
Because Nehemiah didn't say, man, that's terrible for them. Oh, man, that's so messed up. He said, you know what? This really is getting to me to the point where he sat down and he wept. My wife has this theory that it doesn't really matter to you if you don't cry. I don't know if I agree with that, but I do know that oftentimes when something is so impactful that it brings you to tears, it should also bring you to prayer. You go on in verse 5. It says, Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then you will be exiled to the ends of the earth. Then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honored. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. There's a few thoughts that I think you and I can glean from in Nehemiah's prayer. If we begin to just uh, take a moment to examine uh, what he's actually doing in this prayer, I think it'll help us a little bit in our prayer time. One of the first things that we see Nehemiah do, which I think is incredibly important, is he shows reverence right at the beginning of the prayer. Listen, if you go back, Nehemiah do, which I think is incredibly important, is he shows reverence right at the beginning of the prayer. Listen, if you go back right at the beginning, listen to what he says. O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his unfailing love to those who love him and obey his commands. Nehemiah begins his prayer by exalting the Lord and by acknowledging who God is, that he is the God of heaven, that he is great and awesome, that he keeps his promises, that he has unfailing love, that he listens to his people. Now, it's not that God needs to be flattered in order to listen to your prayers. God's not, you know, that kind of conceited God. He's not this type of God that just desperately yearns for your approval. No, this, this is a, a reminder for Nehemiah. See, Nehemiah needed to remember that, yes, his problems are big, but his God is greater Yes, his situation is difficult, but his God is an overcomer. He had to remind himself, when you bring reverence to the Lord, when you in your prayer acknowledge who God is, you're reminded of what God can do. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12 through 15. I love this couple of verses. Listen to what the uh, author says here. <laughs> who else has held the oceans in his hand? Who has measured off the heavens with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has weighed the mountains and hills on a scale? Who is able to advise the spirit of the Lord? Who knows enough to give him advice or teach him? Has the Lord ever needed anyone's advice? Does he need instruction about what is good? Did someone teach him what is right or show him the path of justice? No. For all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. They are nothing more than dust on the scales. He picks up the whole earth 
as though it were a grain of sand. God is so much bigger than your situation. Whether it's a global pandemic or your family falling apart or your marriage struggling or your child hurting, God is greater than the situation you're finding yourself in. Some of us are worried. I'm not sure how the economy is going to weigh out. I'm not sure when this is all over if I'll even have a job. Listen, he is Jehovah Jireh. He can provide. He can enable. He can make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. He is greater than your circumstance. Some of us need to be reminded of that. That's why we begin services with worship. That's why we take the time in our prayer to first acknowledge who God is, to lift him up so that we don't lift up our circumstances above his head. Yes, the problems we face are great, but our God is greater. Nehemiah understood that. And this is why he's bringing the issue before the Lord. Again, oftentimes when we find ourselves in these situations, quickly we're trying to figure out how to navigate it. Nehemiah understood Before I do anything, I need to come to God. And one might ask, why is Nehemiah taking responsibility in this situation? Nehemiah probably has never even been in Jerusalem. Why does it bother him? He was born under Babylonian slash Persian captivity. He he doesn't live anywhere near there. Why is this an issue for him? But I think this is important when it comes to praying for needs, especially needs that are outside of your personal experience. We need to learn to take responsibility. Nehemiah not only showed reverence, but he took responsibility. Again, Nehemiah had never been to Jerusalem. He was a, a royal cupbearer. And this is important because I think just because of movies, we might misconstrue what that means. Yes, it's true as a royal cupbearer, uh, one of your responsibilities was to taste the food and the drink of the king to make sure that it wasn't poison. But you've got to understand, the person you give that job to is not just any old person. This is a trusted advisor. They have a seat at the table when they have council meetings. This is somebody who's not just a regular servant. They live in the palace. They have great authority in their situation. This isn't just a regular person. This is somebody that couldn't get bought. This is somebody that had to be trusted. And so to be the cupbearer of the king meant you had status in your situation. It means that Nehemiah wasn't just this this commoner. It wasn't just this guy who was given a job off the street. He had a position, he had a title, he had a privilege. And because of that, he could have easily ignored the issue. He could have easily said, you know what, that's not my problem. That doesn't affect me directly. And again, I think we're seeing that attitude happening more and more in our society. People who are thinking, you know what, I'm not sick, why do I need to wear a mask? You know, I've, I've never had any racist encounters, why do I need to worry about that? Yeah, I've... It's not something that I have a job still. I don't know why everybody's crying about the economy. It's easy when it's not personally affecting you to dismiss somebody else's issue, to dismiss someone else's hurt. And again, Nehemiah could have taken the same road. He could have said, you know what? Too bad for them. Thank God I don't have that issue. I'm so grateful for the situation I'm in. But no, in hearing what was going on to his people in Jerusalem, he wept And he began to pray. It's easy to judge somebody else for the situation they find themselves in. To say, oh, well, that's on you. You brought that to yourself. To see somebody's marriage struggling and say, well, they shouldn't have been that way. Or she shouldn't have cheated. Or he shouldn't have done that. It's easy to point fingers in that situation and dismiss them and judge them. But listen, 
Romans chapter 2, verse 1, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself, for you who judge others do these very same things. We need to be careful in how we use the word they as if we're not a part of that same community. I'm always, uh, not, I don't know if I would say flustered, but, but there's a, a little red light that flashes whenever I hear someone, even within the church, say something like, hey, uh, you guys should, or how come they don't? And I go, why are you taking yourself away from the family of God? It, it's not you or they, it's, it's we. We are the church. Not Pastor Carlos and the staff. We together, collectively, are the church. When you say they, you're trying to separate yourself from that situation. And what I love by Nehemiah, he doesn't separate himself from the Jews that are in that area. He says, no, those are my people, and I'm taking responsibility because we are the people of God. Again, it's easy to point fingers, but it's hard to give a hand. We need to be willing to extend our hand. I love that our teenagers are raising thousands of dollars for missions because we're trying to teach them to not be preservers but life givers. To not worry about trying to to take care of yourself alone but to start to worry about other people. To reach people that you may never meet on this side of heaven. To give uh, water to children who may never uh, experience what it means to have a running faucet. Part of the funds that we're raising in the state of Illinois is to build clean water wells in parts of Africa where they don't have any. And the cool part is these water wells are built on property that are connected to Assembly of God churches. So think about this. For the community to get to water, they got to go to church. We're able, we're, we're literally making a road to God's house. And none of our teenagers will probably ever visit one of those wells. But we want them to understand it's not about you. To give aid to a missionary that you may never meet because it's not about you. It's about others. It's about people. It's about spreading the gospel. You should care that people in your community are going to hell. It should bother you that people still don't know the name of Jesus Christ. It should cause you to weep and pray. If we're not careful, it's becoming increasingly easier to become cynical and cold-hearted and not take responsibility for the things that are going on in this world. We're trying to teach our teach our children that if it matters to God, it should matter to you. We need to stop taking sides and start taking responsibility. Even if it doesn't affect you, even more if it doesn't affect you. I love that Nehemiah did it because Nehemiah, because he wasn't directly affected, was in a place of privilege that he can make some sort of change. He had the ear of the Persian king. He could get supplies. He can get letters of recommendations. He was uniquely equipped to do something that those who were in that province for the last 25 years could not do. All because he was willing to take responsibility. And the other thing he did that I think went above and beyond, he showed reverence. He took responsibility. But he was willing to repent. Repentance is a huge aspect of prayer that I think many of us often miss. Nehemiah knew that at the core of Jerusalem's issue was not the walls or the economy, but that it was sin. Sin is at the core of all these things that we're seeing, at the core of all the issues. Is there racism? Yes, but at the core of that, there's sin. 
Is there issues within our government and within these people? Sure. But at the core of that, it's sin. Are there issues in your own family, between your spouses, among your children? Yes, yes, yes. There are issues all around. But the main issue is sin. And if we can learn to address the first thing, if we can learn to, to work in it from the root through the fruit, then we'll be able to understand what God is doing in our lives. Listen, Ephesians remind us, chapter 6, verse 12, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. This isn't an issue between black and white. This isn't an issue between you and me. This isn't an issue between believer and unbeliever. This is spiritual. Between the rulers of the dark world and the heavenly realms, this is something that you and I as believers are totally engaged with. Now, does that mean that we don't have real world issues? Of course not. Yes, we do have those. Is there systemic racism? Yes. Is coronavirus something we should be cautious about? Yes. Are your personal struggles that you are facing real? Absolutely. Nehemiah understood the physical issues. He saw that in Jerusalem, the walls were torn down, the gates were burned up, they were susceptible to attack, there were economical issues, there were societal issues, but he also understood at the core of it, the people of God were not being faithful. The people of God were not doing what God called them to do. We have to be a source of refuge and a source of solutions, not the reason that the problem is getting bigger. Church, you and I need to be engaged in some of these situations as sources of hope. Nehemiah understood the issues, but he could go before the Persian king and ask for help. And he did do that. But before he did that, he went to the king of kings and asked for help. Yes, God is going to have you accomplish things. God's going to set you up to do resources. But you have to be willing to go to God. Let me give you an example with the whole world vision thing that I was talking about earlier. A um, couple months ago, the Lord really began to burden me on trying to do something within our community. And I could have easily said, well, that's not my responsibility. My job is to focus on teenagers and young adults. But I just kept feeling this burden in my heart to say, no, no, we have to do something. So I began to pray. I began to ask God, God, I have the desire. We have the manpower. We have the facilities. Uh, what can we do, God? How do, how do we open this door? And so I began to pray, and, and I began to reach out to contacts that I had and people. And the, the hard part was everybody kind of had the same idea. So a lot of these contacts, the resources were depleted. They, they would say things like, Joey, we'd love to help you, but we don't have anything to give you. and We don't have supplies right now. We're backed up. And, and so I just kept waiting, and I, and I just kept praying. And I said, well, God, the desire is there, but I need you to come through. And sure enough, a few weeks ago, I get a call from an old friend. Actually, uh, this is someone who uh, went to church with my family growing up. She, uh, me and her children are still friends to this day. Literally, we're in the crib together. She says, hey, the organization I worked for is looking for a church on the northwest side to partner with in some community efforts. Would you be interested? And I literally, I just started to laugh. Yes, I, I would be interested. Sure. What are you, what's going on? And it was so amazing as she began to unravel everything that they wanted to do. It was literally everything that I was praying for. On top of the fact, and if I can just say this, it's to no uh, financial cost to us. We're not paying for anything. 
The supplies are free. The boxes are free. They're giving us tents. They're giving us gloves. They're giving us masks. They're giving us everything we need to accomplish this. They're asking for nothing in return except for the manpower and the facility to make it happen. It's one kingdom organization partnering with another kingdom organization to make sure that the kingdom of God prospers and that the community in our city gets to know that. And it happened because of prayer, fasting, and waiting on the Lord. Somebody who was willing to take responsibility and move in that action. Church, we need to repent of our inaction. Some of you are waiting for church to open to serve again. Church never closed. Some of you are waiting to get back into this building when God has you somewhere already to serve, where God is enabling. One of the things I love about, again, what our teenagers have been doing is we showed them you can still impact the world from where you are. You just got to think about it. You just have to take the time to do it. And again, somebody might say, well, how does eating, you know, 100 chicken nuggets affect the world? They raised a lot of money eating those chicken nuggets. How does live karaoke affect anything? They raised almost $600 singing on Instagram. This is something that that you can do. And and if you just take the time to think, take the time to examine, I believe the Holy Spirit will speak to you. I believe the Holy Spirit will begin to enlighten you and show you what needs to happen and what your part in this whole thing is. But I love that Nehemiah, when he repented, he didn't say, God, forgive Israel for what they did. He said, God, even I and my household have sinned. Nehemiah was able to do all this because he didn't elevate himself beyond the other situation, beyond the problem. He recognized that he's part of the problem. Church, you and I have to recognize that if we're not going to be part of the solution, then we're already part of the problem. And we need to ask God to help us by repenting before and by acknowledging I haven't done what you needed me to do. I haven't stepped into the situations or the callings. You know, even as simple as I I haven't been willing to talk to that relative that you told me to reach out to because I was scared or because I was nervous. But God, I need to trust you now. Worship team, if you can help me out. Nehemiah essentially did what God calls us to do in 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 This is a very famous verse that we like to quote when we're talking about situations like this. Then, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear them from heaven. I will forgive their sins and restore their land. Nehemiah did that. He reverenced God by acknowledged by acknowledging that he belonged to him and not to the Persians. He understood my identity doesn't lie with the Persian kingdom or with the Persian culture, that he was a Jew, and therefore the issue of Jerusalem was his issue. Church, it's easy for us to identify with our citizenship on earth and forget our citizenship in heaven. To wave the American flag and forget the banner of heaven. To get caught up in our skin's culture, in our uh, country's culture, in our heritage's culture, and forget to identify with Christ. Nehemiah, he didn't allow where he grew up or what he was a part of to stop him from remembering and understanding 
<laughs> but he was part of the people of God. Nehemiah was humbled, or he humbled himself by taking responsibility, by acknowledging this is my issue as much as their issue, that this is a we problem, not a you problem, that he could take the opportunity because he's been set up uniquely to do something about this. And he was willing to turn from his wicked ways by repenting, by acknowledging my people have sinned and I have sinned. And God, your word says that you will scatter us, but if we repent, you will bring And he did one final crucial thing, one more R, if I can pass it on to you. Not only did he show reverence, responsibility, and repentance, but he's shown resolve. Our word resolve is not as commonly used today, but it means firm determination to do something. Sometimes it, we, we, we feel strongly about something and, and we take it to prayer and we, we fervently pray, but then we stop at that. Well, what I mean by that is uh, the world oftentimes is annoyed with hearing Christians say thoughts and prayers because oftentimes that's where it ends for a believer. We just give you our thoughts and our prayers, but we don't give you our hands. We don't give you our feet. We don't do the things that God tells us to do through those prayers. Oftentimes when you're praying, you're giving your situation to God. You're protesting in heaven and God hears your prayer and says, yes, and I'm going to use you now to fix it. Listen, I'll tell you the truth. I learned this a long time ago in staff. I, I think twice before I bring up an issue in our staff meeting because I know Pastor Carlos. When I bring up the issue, he goes, you're right. That's your new job. That's your new project. Now you're in charge of that. You take responsibility. And I'm sitting there going, I don't want to take responsibility. I just want to point it out. <laughs> but isn't that what we all like to do? We all love to point out the issue. But very few of us want to take responsibility to do something about it. Yes, pray. But when God speaks, when God gives you direction, when God opens opportunity, do something about that. Nehemiah, at the end of his prayer, listen to what he says. He says, give me a, a favor. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it to his heart to be kind to me. He knew I got to go to the person. I can't, I'm a cupbearer. I can't just leave my position. We can't just leave the king without anybody checking to see if he's going to be poisoned or not. I need favor. This isn't the Persian king's issue. He's not a believer. What does he care about what happens to God's people? God, I need you to make a way in that situation. I'm going to be bold enough to ask. I'm going to step out of my comfort zone. I'm going to risk my life because who knows if the Persian king in the audacity of what I asked decides to cut off my head. I'm willing to take the risk, but not if you're not going before me, Lord. Listen, God may be asking you to do something that's scary to approach an unbeliever for help, <laughs> to approach somebody that maybe doesn't care. And again, I love that so many of the people that gave to our teenagers are unbelievers because God made the way. But listen, Nehemiah had to show resolve because when you look at the scripture in chapter one, the Bible tells us in the first verse that he began to pray in the month of Shizlev. Now, chapter one, verse six tells us Nehemiah prayed all day and night. He prayed every day and night, and he began in the month of Shizlev. And we see that he doesn't get an answer until chapter 2, verse 1, 
which is in the month of Nisan. Now, I love that the Bible gives us dates because sometimes we brush over those dates because I don't know what Shislev or Nisan is. But if you do a little bit of digging, you find out that that time span, that calendar that they're measuring by is about four, four and a half months. Day and night for four to four and a half months, Nehemiah prayed. And it took four and a half months for him to get an answer. Let me put that into context for you. We haven't yet been on shutdown for four and a half months. That won't happen until around mid-July. And it already feels like it's been forever. And we're wondering, where are you, God? What are you doing? I'm willing to ask, where are you and what are you doing? Nehemiah prayed day and night for four and a half months. That is resolve. To say, we're going to pray until something happens, means you keep praying until something happens. And think about this. When the building of the walls actually began to take place, they accomplished it from beginning to end in 52 days. In less than two months, they knocked out this entire project. There was a 52-day project that had a four-and-a-half-month foundation. I believe when God moves, he'll move quickly but you have to be willing to be diligent and have resolve in your prayer time.